0: Hi, everyone. It's Mark Stenson. You found the podcast Unlocking Your World of Creativity. And I put a little underscore on that word unlocking because the real idea of this podcast is to say you've come up with ideas, you've got a burning passion to get your creative work published, produced, recorded, but you need the inspiration and the connections to get it out in the world. And that's the kind of information we want to provide. I'm just so pleased today to have as my guest, Dan Phippen. Dan is a music industry and live event production professional, just decades in the industry. It's been a
1: while, so it's good.
0: It's been a while. That's right. So Dan, really glad to have you on the program.
1: Uh, Happy to be here, Mark. I look forward to it, and uh, I think this is going to be a great exchange of ideas today. So uh, excited to be on your program.
0: Unlocking your
1: world of creativity
0: with Mark Stinson. I love the idea that Dan Phippen has seen the various facets of this business, from the actual singer-songwriter talent to repping and producing the artists themselves, and then obviously the industry side of producing the events and getting the live venue set up. Dan, you were just involved in the Farm Aid 2020, well, I guess I should say virtual concert, virtual event.
1: It a 2020 virtual event this year. And the way I would like to kind of put it on is this was the 35th year of Farm Aid. And Willie Nelson started it. And right away, John Mellencamp and Neil Young and then Dave Matthews came on. And was, all of them are chairman of the boards right now. But it's Willie started it. And honestly, instead of not doing it this year, they put so much passion in their lives into helping family farmers, small farms, locally grown organic farms, and just the farmers of America who need so much help. It was kind of the idea of the show must go on. We can't be in uh, public and have a 15 hour show like we usually do, but we're going to do this virtual now. And we were over the air at Access Television. We were on CBS Television in quite a few markets. So it was great. Um, I was really proud to be part of it. And we raised uh, about $6 million this year so far, and it was a lot of fun. And I have been to I think twelve farmmates because I've had artists on these shows for years. And like I said, I've repped artists, I've worked with the artists. I work with John Mellencamp for years. I work with Steve Earle, who's been part of this for many, many years. So it was different. It was um, exciting. It was a little bit nerve wracking because it was virtual. But uh, I think at the end of the day, everybody felt good about it, and we were able to raise money for the family farmers and the small farmers in this country that feed us and give us uh, nourishment for our bodies and for our minds.
0: You know, and I've talked to a lot of young and up-and-coming musicians who say, boy, it's really been frustrating. I can't get out into the clubs or the cafes and play my music in front of audiences. But then, you know, elevate it to the types of people you just listed. You know, Dave Matthews, he lives on the live audience.
1: all do. head will it- Willie used to play 250 shows a year. He lives on his bus instead of in Maui or, or on his massive property, which he calls uh, Luck uh, in Luck, Texas, which is uh, just outside of Austin. He owns about 5,000 acres out there. He's got a recording studio, two houses, golf course, a farm, and, you know, pretty much anything he wants.
0: <laughs> so these artists, you know, they still wanted to contribute to the cause, even though they couldn't uh, get the live vibe uh
1: yeah i mean you look at they looked at it this way when they talked to me look there's a pandemic going on which means the farmers are having a tough time on a normal year i mean places like wisconsin the dairy farmers out there it's been so tough the last four or five years for them smaller farmers um you know not these big corporate places that you know make the smaller farmers have a hard time keeping their farms and staying in business but they wanted to do something with the pandemic even more so because besides normally when they normally need help, it's really been harder because of the pandemic for these small farmers to get their produce out to even local, um, you know, farmers markets and to you know export it to the places they normally do because there's there's not as much truckers on the road, there's not as much everything. I mean, the whole pandemic thing. So I think it was even more important this year to show solidarity between the artists. And there's about fifteen or eighteen artists that normally do this every year, and you know, again. Board members that I mentioned, who are part of it and putting it together, and what most people might not realize, there's a big organization behind this now. They've been in biz- they've been doing this 35 years, and up in Massachusetts, they've got a big team of Farmaid.org, and it's um, a really innovative team, and they're not going to let this go. There's, there's too many farms out there, locally and uh, organically, and that serve local communities that need the help still. So-
0: Mm. You had mentioned to me that you particularly focused a couple of your segments during the virtual program, one on indigenous farmers, Native American farmers, and the other on black farmers. Tell us a little bit of background and the production of those two segments.
1: Yeah, I wasn't responsible for both those segments. And honestly, I was so proud of that because what we did was, you know, we had about 20 different people from black individuals who own farms and then we had about 12 to 15 native american farmers but the sad part is with everything going on this year um they really put an extra emphasis on those two groups of people because honestly back in the early probably 1920 there was close to a million black owned family farms Well, over the course of what's happened between 1920s and nowadays, uh, a lot of African-American people have been pushed into the inner cities, and because of land ownership issues that go back to the beginning of this country, they no longer have the land land to farm on any longer. So without the land, they've been pushed into the cities. So there's only about 47,000 black American owned farms at this point compared to what there was close to a million of them back then. So you can see how there's very few of them who, who are even making the ability to just pay off those loans and, and pay, you know and pay for the tractors and the, and the trailers and the land itself. And then again with the Native Americans, um, if anybody knows anything about Native American culture, they were pretty much given federal lands you know 150 years ago with these um, treaties that the government pushed them on and 98% of those lands can't even be farmed. They're just so desolate and so remote, and there's no rain, There's they're on hillsides. Um, so if you look at where a lot of these Native American reservations are, the ones that w- are without casinos these days, they're starving. I mean, there's just nothing they can do. And the land is barely farmable. And so the ones that are able to provide, uh, cr- you know, crops and, and to plant food and to actually farm themselves, they're really doing it to give themselves, when I say themselves, give their tribes food that's locally grown. To a lot of reservations, there's not a grocery store that sells anything that's good to eat you know, healthy to eat within, you know, 50 to 100 miles. So they can't drive that far to get that. So a lot of these um, Native American farmers are farming to just be able to feed their tribe and their kids, their families.
0: Yeah, yeah. Wow. And like you said, Farm Aid has really evolved from a music event in the fall time of the year It sounds like a really ongoing organization to provide long-term support for these farmers. It's
1: something that you know is really a great organization, and you know what? In the eight, nineteen eighty-five is when um, farmers were losing their land just to bank foreclosures, and it was just it was a disaster. And somebody came to Willie Nelson, and eight days later, he put on his first show. So within eight days, he had put on a show, they got 20,000 people out there and they raised a couple hundred thousand dollars. So it started with something that small um, and it's been going on for 35 years. So it's a very meaningful, something this country needs. And I think a lot of people don't think enough about where their food comes from. And honestly, if you care about your body and to me, what you put in your body um, is more than just food. You put good food to nourish your body, but what you put in your mind, your soul, your heart, uh, other things, and besides you know, being in tune with all those good things for the rest of your body, you need to put healthy food source into your body to, to sustain your body as well.
0: So uh, thinking about the music side of things, when you and I first met, Dan, gosh knows uh, how many years ago that was, we compared and contrasted, you know, the gold records on the wall and the radio station influence and what it meant to have a hit record. Fast forward us now to 2020 and the state of the music business. And is there any such thing as a gold record anymore, for example? What, What does it mean to have a hit? What's the state of the state now?
1: Well, the state of the music business is kind of iffy. I mean, if you're a Taylor Swift, if you're a superstar, superstar, you know, you're going to get a gold record or a platinum record. But where five years ago, those, you know, 10 or 15 artists might have sold 3 million, 5 million. Now you're going to sell 2 or 3 million. Um, There's only probably 20 or so platinum records, platinum plus records, done a year now and it's a shame because although um you know everybody thinks all these platforms they can put their music out themselves and do it independently you know and somebody's going to hear them nobody really hears them other than your friends um but what's really killing you know artists and and their ability to make money and why the live entertainment business is where 95 percent of all artists make money now recorded music doesn't really, it works off mechanical royalties. And um, live streaming has pretty much killed that. So everybody who live streams out there, and we all do, I mean, people are making maybe zero, zero, cents on every time a song is played. So if you're on Spotify and you've had the song played 300,000 times, you might make a $1,000, where normally that would be, you know, a heck of a lot of money in, in the older days are different platforms. So it's great to have it and it's a source, but that's why in this pandemic, when the live industry has been shut down and music venues have been shut down and the artists, not just the artists, you're, you're talking about audiovisual people, your technicians, you're talking about trucking companies who truck back and forth to these shows you're talking about rigors you're talking about local food and beverage companies you're talking about catering you're talking about people who just work you know the security and all that everybody is out there's 14 million people in the music entertainment and events industry who are out of work right now due to no fault of their own because we were the first out and we'll be and be the last back but the problem with that is People don't look at it like that. They're just, they're just, they don't see that. But um, it it takes, it takes a village to put on one show. But back to what I'm saying is the artists make their money that way. 95% of them, even the smaller artists who are selling, you know, a club out of 500. So to make money on streaming audio, which is how 95% of the people get their music listening habits right now, it's really hard. I mean, we all love YouTube and the platform it is, but somebody puts out a new album and you're not going to get the good sound on it. You're not going to have a great quality of sound, but most people don't care. It's, it's very compressed, but you can steal most new albums just from YouTube right now for free, and there's nothing illegal about it. And then again, the streaming pa- platforms just don't pay enough for artists to make, you know, even sustain themselves and their immediate family on, much less the crews and the bands and the
0: workers. Sure. Well, it's interesting you say then because uh, this transition to the live show You know, what are some of the creative workarounds? You you can't go to the amphitheater. So what are are you seeing some of the artists doing for events?
1: Well, the workarounds, there's this company called No Caps, and it is funded by some of the biggest players in the music industry. And I believe it's the most creative way of getting the artist um, out there. What they do is they'll go into a major club. It can be a smaller club, but a big, you know, a club venue with professional audio, professional video, They'll have all their equipment, they'll set up, they'll put on a full show like it's going to be a sold-out crowd. Then they'll have professional camera people in there, their sound people, their audio people. They'll put on a full-on show, and um, you can buy, you know, tickets are $10, 15 but this But this is at the highest levels of um, the music industry, people who have, done this with no caps and they actually um, Jimmy Buffett is involved as well. And they, Jimmy Buffett with the parrot heads and all that is, you know, kind of like the grateful dead. It's a brand upon its own that kind of invented things that other people didn't in the music industry and, and needs to be. And people there's been books written now about branding and about how, Both of those two artists, the Grateful Dead and Jimmy Buffett, both did branding that nobody actually knew what they were doing because the word branding didn't even exist back then, but it's turned into the Parrot Heads and the Deadheads. This turned into recordings and letting people record you. Where I'm going with this is Jimmy Buffett has some of the biggest and best social media of anybody in the music industry as far as his team and as far as what they're doing that way. That's part of No Caps. He's allowing No Caps to use um, his platforms and things like that it's also some very other heavyweight people who have put together with him people everybody would know out there that's one way of doing it and then there's a lot of smaller companies that are trying to do that you know at first we we're in a facebook uh instagram world where everybody was trying to go from their living room on um and that just got boring, got old, and just wasn't anything.
0: Yeah. as um, well, you said the quality was sort of... Uh, the if quality
1: was... Yeah. There's latency problems with that. And there's, you know, issues of connections and latency and all that. But the other way that people are doing it right now, and they're very small, they're going to local farms. And I don't mean farmers, where there's crops, local big fields, places, especially in the, the Northeast right now, because the Northeast is doing better with um, some of the pandemic, And now in parking lots, you know, at amphitheaters in Atlanta, but in the parking lot, not in the actual building in Atlanta and Dallas and Portland, Oregon, they're doing what's called drive-in shows. They have a big staging company come in, put up a professional staging, put up video monitors that are 70 feet tall on both sides of the stage and 30 feet wide and then they're roping off the car so you actually have to stay in your car or if you get out of the car you have to stay within that roped off area or you'll be asked to leave so that's another way they're you know trying to come back and you know some of these artists are trying to make a little bit of money none of the big artists will perform like this because a it's simply not a a proper way to do it you know some of these bigger artists but it is a way right now to get out there and do it I personally, it's not something I would enjoy, um, but it's what's happening right now. And it's been tested by the live nations. It's been tested in Europe. And there's a ton of, non-musical promoters who are just offering up their farms and then hiring out local production companies and staging companies and sound companies. So it's giving a little bit of work back to some of the people who are out of work for so long. So that's a good thing.
0: Uh, That's great. And then uh, let's also touch on, I guess, the creative juices, you know, (laughs) the uh, the actual music, the actual production and creation of the music. What sort of trends do you see? I'll call it the lyrics, the styles, the genres. You've seen all sides of this.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I can take it back and we can come back to this, but the way I look at it, and there's different styles of genres. I mean, country country music, there are songwriters in Nashville that write all the songs that all the artists we all love in country music are doing. So they're not really songwriters. Um, And a lot of bands write songs. To me, to get to the creative part of it, And this is going to take me back to childhood. I have been um, writing songs and I, you know, have had quite a few that have been out there in the world that people have heard of. I'm not going to mention here, it's irrelevant to the question, but I started writing songs when I was 12 or 13 years old. And it's just kind of an internal muse. Um, And I think that's why people, they find themselves more creative in their, late teens, 20s, 30s, and 40s, and all of a sudden they get older, that muse doesn't hit them as much because they've either made a lot of money or a lot, they have other life things and they're not. But honestly, to me, there is. sometimes it can be three o'clock in the morning. Sometimes you can be sitting there and you hear somebody say a phrase and that, you'll jot that phrase down. And 10 minutes later, I can write a whole song to that phrase because the phrase catches me. So... I think the true songwriters, I mean, the the real songwriters who are just songwriters, not really musicians, or or they could be musicians as well, but people who are writing songs for a living, professional songwriters, and people like myself who really aren't in it anymore, but still write songs all the time. It comes to me, and, you know, I can bang out a song, a great song, sometimes in 10 minutes, and then, of course, I'll go back to it and change five or 10 words here and there, but the muse is sometimes that strong. It's just something that comes, and... Anybody who has is lucky enough to have that, they'll never be able to tell you where it comes from because they don't know when the music is going to come and they don't know when it's going to go. Um, and that's why they get dry spots and stuff. But I will tell you there's certain times I'll start out writing a song and then I work on it and work on it and work on it. And this might sound strange, but ever since I was a kid, there's things that internally motivated me that turned me into who I was. And I could pinpoint them here, but it wouldn't be really relevant to the conversation. But there are certain things that turn me into why I do these things and why I love these things and why they still fascinate me and make me happier than anything and almost therapeutic. Now when I'm 60 years old, as when I was 15 years old, which sounds funny, but that same little thing has never changed in me. The same things that motivated me then still drive me to this day. I internally, still do it whether I want to or not because it is who I am and it's how I've made peace with my mind in times that are hard and you know I it's how I've um, made peace in times when times were good Um, I really believe creativity in a world that's not pop music and there's nothing wrong with pop music but that's contrived and a lot there's a lot of marketing behind that and there's a place in the world for that as well but true creativity just kind of comes to somebody it flows within you And there's not really an explanation of why. It just happens sometimes. Sometimes people lose that for a long time, and sometimes you never do. Or sometimes when the muse comes, you don't pay attention to it, and then it's gone. I mean, Mm -hmm. you've got to capture it when it comes. So when that inspiration, whether it's internally, whether you hear something, I'll be honest with you. I just heard this great phrase two days ago. I wrote the phrase down. I was in my car. I put two other words to it and I came home and wrote a song and it's like I'm working on it now. And it it's just something that happens.
0: I'm so interested in the connection because I know what you mean, that it is in the fiber of your being. You know, it, and it so when you're 15 or when you're 55, it doesn't matter. But I am curious, you know, we do hear this from other uh, creative artists that they see a line or they see uh, something in a book or a passage. You know, they see a billboard for, you know, goodness sake. Uh, do you have this collection, this folder of uh, the napkins and the things that you've torn out of magazines? And <laughs> you
1: know, well, that you know, you, you ask, and it's kind of a funny question. But yes, I mean, I have written more songs on napkins in restaurants or in little scrap pieces of paper nowadays because we all have our iPhones. There's a section there with the note sections mm-hmm. in my note section of my iPhone. I'll bet I have thirty songs that are written, not finished, but started, and they're verse, verses, and choruses, but I might change them all around, but there's at least 30 untapped songs in my notes program. So it's a little bit easier with the with the phone around now, but I still do have from 40 years worth of uh, scrap scrappings in papers of songs that were written here, started here, you know, on anything you can imagine. But you know what? Passion is the one tool that you need most of the time to not miss that muse or not miss that creativity or not or allow it to happen, you have to allow it to happen and you have to understand when it's happening and then you have to tune into your own self. And again, my little teenage self was made by things that happened to me, but even lyrics to songs that happened way back when, that had nothing to do with me, changed my life. But when I look back all these years later, those same things are still just as important to me now as they were then, which means they made a enormous impression on me that never left, you know, inside of me who I am and why I'm the way I am for better or worse.
0: Mm-hmm. No, that's very good. And I think you're also touching on this idea that sometimes creativity for its own sake and for your internal well-being. But then I guess I'd like to think about some listeners who are saying I really want to make this a commercial pain you know gig. Uh, what would you say to those people who are sitting on the stool at you know the coffee shop wanting to be in the uh, either live or virtual amphitheater? How do they take that next step? It's a it's a big jump from one to the other. And so what's that little micro movement that they need to take to take it to the next level?
1: All right, I'm going to tell you a little story first and then I'll accentuate on that. Here's how I did it. And this is what I, and, and the reason I'm going to tell you the story, Mark, um, myself, I can tell you how I did it. I went in college and I graduated college and I practiced music when I was a kid, you know, in high school, in high school and, you know, mm-hmm. from time I was 13. And I was terrible. I was the kid who should have put that guitar down and never played again. I had no talent for it, and really nobody encouraged me for it. But the point I'm going to make is when I went to college, I graduated college. had nothing to do with music or anything like that. But when I got out of college, at by that point in my life, I knew what I wanted to do. And that was film and video and then audio sound within film and video. So what I did, and I think people need to do now is – be willing to work for nothing. Be willing to go out there and do whatever it takes to be successful. If you have the love, the drive, the passion, and the absolute need to do something like that, which is be a live performer like you're talking about, you got to start at the bottom. I mean, unless you come from royal family, you're going to start at the bottom. And so myself, I went and got a job at the largest film production company in Atlanta with zero pay. There was no salary. So it was an internship, but then... When we worked on productions, on commercials and on films, they paid me the rate that everybody got on the crew. So while we were working, I got paid. for so five days in the office while we were editing and doing the creative parts of all that, I didn't get paid. So what I'm saying is I was willing to go to work for free five days a week. And then there was, you know, we probably shot and then, um, you know, did the po- We probably actually shot the, you know, the commercials and the films we were shooting you know, seven or eight days a month. So maybe seven or eight days a month, I made money. That's my example of how it happened to me. To take your question a little bit further, how can it happen to somebody else? Even in today's world, where you can get a song and post it on Spotify and post it on the internet and hope that somebody outside your friends hear it, there's a very small chance. So what I would say to somebody is get out there, If this is something, again, that you need, love, want, and you are passionate about, and this is what you see yourself, and you just feel this is your destiny, get out there and do it. Get out there and play to five people. Get out there and play to 10 people. And then when you've honed that skill enough, you're going to have to move to Los Angeles, New York, Nashville, if you want to chase that dream, because that's where the music industry is in those three cities. Now, it can be done out of Atlanta, out of Austin, Texas nowadays, out of Miami, out of certain places. But... You need to be around other people that are more creative um, and that can help you and, and be around studios. And, um, it's not just enough to want to do it. You've got to be able to give up everything to make that dream come true. That hasn't changed in 50, 75 years. That's always been the same, and that's really the one way to take that step because you've got to hustle, and you've got to want to do it. You've got to knock on doors. You've got to make phone calls. And nowadays, it's just so easy to try to do it on the Internet you know, And you have people at record companies you know, surfing the internet because they're not, they don't have the budgets to go out and go to the clubs and find bands like they used to because everybody used to have an unlimited credit card and go to every club in Los Angeles or every club in every city and listen to the artists with their own ears and not just get the thousands of tapes that were sent to listen to them. So you still have to have that drive and determination to want to do it. Now, again, with all that said, you can get lucky and something will go viral on you. You know, I mean, there's influencers. If you get one of those, and they like what you've done, I mean, p- things like you know, silly dance videos on TikTok go viral, and boom, boom, you have now kids who you know, bad. But you know, you get um, <laughs> exactly.
0: You know, it's, and, it, and it's, <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, you're saying about luck. It's like yes, it happens, and there's always the Cinderella story. But luck is not a strategy, as they say, right? Well,
1: uh, luck is luck is not a strategy. Uh, uh, and I, I've said my whole life, it's better to be lucky than good. Sometimes,
0: yeah. <laughs> well, and you're harking back to the country music documentary that Ken Burns did. You know, you're saying it hasn't changed in 50 years, and all of a sudden, I'm picturing Loretta Lynn going door to door. I'm picturing oh, Buck Owens getting off the box car trying to, you know, make it. Ricky Skaggs going to a state fair and hoping to run into somebody. Yeah, I mean that they, no. they put themselves out there. Is your point too?
1: You got to put yourselves out there, and also when things become semi normal again and everything starts opening all over the country and everything gets, you know, out of the pandemic that we're in now, be willing to go ask somebody like, Hey man, if you want to work in a recording studio and and be an engineer, or you want to meet the songwriters in Nashville, Los Angeles, be willing to sweep the floors in the studio, be willing, you know, come in there, knock on enough doors and say, Hey man, I'll do anything if you just give me a chance to be around here and hang out. I could give you examples of 30 people that I know who are now some of the biggest, producers and some of the biggest a producers in the country. And they all started that way. They all knocked on some doors. Eventually somebody said, look at that kid. He's not making any money, man. Look at the hustle he's got. I'm going to give him a shot at this. And then all of a sudden he did great on that. Well, I'm going to give him a second shot. So, you know, in life, everybody wants the easy street. And I don't mean this bad, but the easy street is not always the internet and being viral. You know, we all would love to have a viral little hit. But if you have that viral hit, okay, you're going to boom, boom, boom. But can you produce a second and third track where a record company is going to want to sign you? You know, you're going to be able to make money because they give you money up front. You got to pay them back before you see a penny back. So, I mean, the only residual <laughs> thing comes in <it> apply.
0: <laughs> I hear you. Well, Dan, this has been uh, just terrific talking with you. We, we could go on as we have in a yep. many a coffee shop and many a restaurant. So yeah. uh, we, we have well, a beer mark. <laughs> that's right We haven't touched on a lot of things that maybe episode two of our conversation will have to come back around to. So I just can't thank you enough for the conversation and really all the, the practical experience. I, you know I always think about that word advice and it's so overused. but it's like all I can do is tell you what worked for me, like you said. Take, take it for what it is, right? Uh,
1: well, and honestly, that's really it. I think you said it perfectly. All you can do is give somebody advice. It's up to them to listen or not listen. And, and, you know, I can't tell you how somebody else did it, what advice to take, what advice not to take, but I can tell you what worked for me over a lifetime. And, and I was very, very successful. And I, I'm very proud of where my life took me and what happened in my life and how I made things happen because nobody made them happen for me. I nice. Literally did not come from a family with any musical background, and my life was very charmed for a long time. But again, advice is a, ni- is a nickel away from uh, a train ride, you know. <laughs> uh, <taking laughs> there it you on. go.
0: And uh, <laughs> listeners, uh, yeah. you know, if, if you didn't get it from my introduction, Dan Fippen is the real deal. I've seen the hardware. I've seen the strings on the guitar saying his, his word is good. Well, thanks, Dan, for uh, all your insights and experience. Really can't thank you enough for being on the program.
1: All right. Well, thank you so much, Mark. I've enjoyed it. It was great pleasure talking to you and hopefully we'll see each other soon when this
0: pandemic thing gets over. Well, that sounds like a plan. Thanks, Mark. And listeners, if you are still looking for more of the latest and best advice and insights and experience to keep your creative fires burning, to really get your work out into the world, then keep listening to this podcast. We'll have more great guests like Dan coming along the way. So here's to you as you unlock your world of creativity. All the best. Bye for now. Unlocking your world. Of creativity. Mark Copyright 2020. I'm Mark Stinson. You can connect with me on LinkedIn or check out my website at www.mark-stinson.com.